0: With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN as we continue celebrating long-gone summer week here on 101 ESPN. We go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to talk with a 1998 Cy Young Award winner and a Hall of Famer. He is Tom Glavin joining us here on Ribs and BK. Tom, how are you doing today? i'm doing great how are you guys doing well we really appreciate the time so let's go back to that summer tom you are the cy young award winner and the backdrop of it all the reason why we're here in st louis talking about it is because of course the mark mcguire sammy sosa home run chase what was it like at that time to be the best pitcher in the league when the headliners are going to sosa and mcguire
2: (laughs) well you're uh you're fighting to get a little bit of respect, I guess, but, um, you know, listen, I mean, those, what those guys did that summer obviously was special. Um, you know, it was the kind of thing that, uh, as the summer went on, uh, and it became more and more apparent that, uh, what was happening was special. And, you know, those two guys just seemed to feed off of it and give us more and more to talk about and anticipate every day. I mean, it became a spectacle. I mean, every time, you know, one of those guys would come to the, come to bat in their ballparks or even on the road. Uh, the anticipation level would rise and, and, you know, people were genuinely excited to hopefully see a home run. So, I mean, I've, I've never, I've never seen anything like it, um, up to that point in time. And I'm not sure that I saw anything like it afterwards, but, um, you know, the way those two guys captured the attention of, you know, the nation and, and particularly baseball fans across the nation was pretty crazy.
1: Tom, what was your mental strategy like going into those, uh, those at-bats where McGuire or Sosa would step into the batter's box? You're sitting there on the mound, obviously Cy Young, winner that year. You're having a fantastic year. What's your thoughts going through your head as Big Mac enters the batter's box?
2: You know, I think your thought process is initially it's what it always is, right? I mean, when you go into a game, you're looking at a lineup, you're putting together a game plan, and you're identifying one or two guys that you don't want to let beat you. Uh, and obviously Mac was that guy in St. Louis and uh, you know, it's not to say that there weren't other guys, but obviously he was probably at the top of the list. Um, so you tried your best to get into situations where he couldn't beat you secondarily. Yeah. You knew what was going on and you didn't want to be on that list. Um, you know, when the year was over, if they broke a record or, or whatever, you know, was that going to end up being, you didn't, you didn't want to have your name be on that list. So um, you know, there's a little bit different motivation in that regard, and, and I think I think most pitchers are probably similar to me in that, like I said, a you're, you're identifying those guys as the guys you don't want to let beat you, and then b you don't want to be on the list. So they're getting the best of every everybody they face, you know, because that's everybody's mindset is they they want to get them out and they don't want to give up a home run. Which you know, when you think about it, knowing that that level of focus that they're getting from every pitcher um and getting every pitcher's best and they're still able to put together the summer they they both did uh, it's pretty remarkable
1: so just a quick follow-up to that one tom is as a pitcher and as you, your pitching coach and as a team your strategy what are the pitch selections that you're setting up for mark mcguire like as you're sitting in there like where are you going right what was your strategy with your pitches for mark mcguire to avoid keep being put on that list
2: Yeah, I mean, I think for me with those guys, it was similar to, you know, most everybody else I pitched to, but particularly, you know, guys that can take you out of the ballpark. I think the big key was you you wanted to keep the ball down so that they couldn't elevate. Um, You know, you wanted to try and stay, you know, knee high in the strike zone somewhere to where if there's contact, you know, hopefully it's either weak contact or ground ball uh, and stay out of that area that's just above it that's, you know, maybe mid-thigh to thigh high. Uh, those kind of balls that, you know, those guys can elevate and really drive somewhere. So, you know, for me, like I said, it was down and away, uh, changing speeds down and away, try to keep him honest in as much as I could. If I felt like he was getting a good look at my changeup better than I wanted him to, then I certainly would uh, pitch inside and try to get him off of that a little bit, change his eyesight a little bit. Uh, But for the most part, I think really especially with Mack, trying to stay out of those elevated areas in the strike zone to where he could he could elevate the ball and drive it um which is what he was so dangerous at doing
0: how about this jamie tom glavin went up against the cardinals he started against the cardinals three times that summer mcguire got a hit a single off of glavin in the first game the first appearance that Maguire had against glavin didn't get another hit against him and the other two starts against tom glavin and the atlanta braves how about that tom well, I guess I did all
2: right with him. I know, I, well, I know that's, that's a little uh, that's a little tainted because the one game there he got thrown out after his first at bat, so I didn't have to I didn't have to face him anymore. So you don't have to mention oh, that. No, yeah, we, we don't need to talk about that. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. I mean, like I said, uh, like I said to people who have asked me about it, I was like, that was that was the best game plan I could have possibly come up with, was to find a way to have him thrown out after <laughs> after his first at bat. So. <laughs>
0: We're talking to the Hall of Famer and the 1998 Cy Young Award winner Tom Glavin here on Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Tom, the number one thing that I've heard that we need to ask you about is your Chicks Dig the Long Ball ad that you did back in that time. How did that come about and how much fun was it to make that?
2: Uh, it was a ton of fun. Um, how it came about, I'm not I mean I'm not 100% sure. I mean we got I got a call from my agent telling me that, uh, you know, Nike was interested in doing a commercial with me and Greg, and, you know, I thought, yeah, that'd be fun. I don't know, I don't remember if I really knew what the premise of the commercial was uh, until I had kind of loosely agreed, or Greg and I had loosely agreed that we were going to do it, Um, and then it it became apparent that it was this chick's dig the long ball theme, and um, you know, and then it all kind of came together, and it was fun. It was weird, because we did the commercial. If I'm not, if I remember correctly, I think it was the same road trip, uh, and and it was Florida and Philadelphia. So we did the first part of the commercial in Florida, uh, where we're shooting these scenes outside, where Greg and I are, are swinging at skeet shoots and uh, you know doing some of the weight room scenes and things like that that we did. Then we switched to Philadelphia, where we did a lot of the Rocky stuff and and you know the on field batting practice and. And I think for both of us, as we were doing it, we just kind of wondered, like, what are they doing with this? Where, where are they going? How's this all going to piece together? I think the both of us had a little bit of anxiety, of thinking, you know, this is going to be terrible. You know, <laughs> what, what are they doing? Um, but obviously, the final product was was pretty funny, and I think it, you know, what makes it fun, obviously, is, you know, it was it was a fun summer to begin with, with the whole home run thing. But I think it it kind of showed a side of Greg and I that. You know, most people never got to see. Uh, So I think that made it more fun for people as well.
1: So speaking of chicks digging the long ball, uh, you're no stranger looking through your thing here. You got one home run in your career. Um, What do you remember about that home run? And do you remember who the pitcher was? Of course I remember who the pitcher was. (laughs) Uh, (laughs)
2: Um, I remember it uh, it was in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, the old ballpark. Uh, and it was actually, uh, I think, a, if I'm not mistaken, it was a game-winning home run. Not in the sense there was a walk-off, but it was a one-one game at the time. I hit, I hit a, a first pitch fastball off of John Smiley to the opposite field. Um, I remember the ball leaving my bat, and I and I took off thinking, "All right, I'm going to get a double." Uh, and by the time I got close to second base, it was like, "Oh my God, that just went over the fence!" <laughs> so. You know, kind of had to go into somewhat of a a home run trot, but not, you know, not really the adrenaline of getting back to the dugout and everybody's you know, high-fiving you the whole nine yards and you're fired up and you're sitting there thinking, I just hit a home run. And then the realization hits, okay, I got to go back out and pitch now. So (laughs) you kind of, you know, you got to kind of get your emotions back in check pretty quickly um but i you know it was it was obviously a, a fun moment for me and and you know one that unfortunately i never got to do again but hey i did it once so i proved i can do it
0: so you had a little bit of power yourself tom you were a <laughs> pitcher in major league baseball for 22 years you went up against some damn good players we're talking a lot about Maguire this week of course who was the guy with the most power the most pure power that you ever went up against as an opposing hitter
2: I mean, Mac would certainly be at, at the top of the list. Um, you know, I think of a guy like Gary Sheffield. Um, you know, certainly at at different times, a guy like, you know, Albert Pujols. Um, you know, Mike Piazza, when he was in the prime and, and doing his things. I mean, those are the guys that were, you know, just strong and could really drive the ball. But, you know, I think the oftentimes you'll hear certain guys talked about in, in, in the sense that, you know when they hit the ball, it sounds different. It comes off the bat different. It travels different. And Mac was one of those guys. I mean, when when he got a hold of one, it just had a different sound to it. And and it was just that the, you know the 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 contact that he would make. I mean, the ball would just carry. I mean, it just didn't seem to. You know, it was like almost like gravity had no effect on it. It was just it was just going to carry. But you know he he was one of the guys. Like you never. You know, you never fear anybody, so to speak. Obviously, you respect everybody that gets in the box, and certain guys are, for me, throughout my career, being McGuire and Gary Sheffield, those were the two guys that I just, I always prayed that just please don't hit a line drive back at me because, like I said, those guys, the way they hit the ball, the way the ball came off their bat, uh, you just didn't think you were going to have time to react, and and thankfully, neither one of them did.
1: So speaking of great players, I've got to go down this road. Obviously, being a former NHL player myself, Looking through the Tom Glavin scouting report on Wikipedia, for our listeners who don't know, you were drafted to the NHL ahead of our very own Brett Hull. Please tell me about your hockey career, and I guess most specifically what I'd like to know is, obviously you played hockey at a really high level and you were really good, you got drafted, but when was the decision made that you were going to go baseball rather than hockey? Um, well, and trust
2: me, every, any chance I get to remind Brett Hull of that, I do I <laughs> anywhere. So, um, I'm, I'm quick to remind him of that, but, um, you know, it's funny coming out of high school, I was, you know, what I tell people, I was probably a more polished hockey player and a more raw baseball player. Um, you know, i I mean, my, my baseball pitching skills were, I had a good arm uh and and I really didn't know how to pitch. I mean my idea of of a change up in high school was let me throw this next fastball harder than I threw the one before. I mean that, that was that was my mentality. I just I didn't really know what I was doing. I never had any coaching really. You know, my people will always ask me, Oh, when did you start taking pitching lessons? Honest to God, my first pitching lesson that I ever got was the day that I showed up for Pro Bowl. Uh that was the only time I had ever gotten any any pitching Uh, advice, lessons, whatever, or, or thought about my mechanics. So that's why I say I was a better, I was a more polished hockey player. I was just really raw in baseball and it it was not an easy decision. I mean, I went through the whole college process, um, trying to find a school where I could play both. Uh, I had a lot of baseball schools that were interested in me that didn't have hockey. I had a, a lot of being from Boston, you know, the BCs, the BUs, and, and a lot of those schools that were really after me for hockey, but they didn't have baseball. So um, I wasn't ready to give either one up. And the college I was going to go to, UMass Lowell, was uh, Hockey East School, uh, really good hockey. They were really, really good Division two baseball school. So that was kind of the route that I was going. And then when I got drafted, um, you know, as you know, in hockey, it's different. They call you. I got a call. I said, hey, we drafted you. Uh, we know you're going to school. We'll talk to you in a couple years. Uh, whereas with baseball, it was, Hey, we drafted you and we want to sign you. And I think, you know, the Braves drafted me and, and and within two or three days, uh, they were sitting at my kitchen table, uh, negotiating a contract to get me to sign. So, I mean, it's a, it's a different process in baseball and it really wasn't until the Braves really kicked in, uh, their aggressiveness in terms of trying to sign me to where I really sat down, tried to make a list pros and cons with both sports. And, and, you know, the one thing that kept back you know came back to me more than anything else was I was a left-handed pitcher and you know being a left-handed pitcher in baseball I had an advantage that I didn't have in hockey so uh, I figured I'd better try and make use of it and I think it worked out all right.
1: Yeah, it worked out pretty good for you <laughs> uh, to say the least, but is there anything that you were able to bring with you from hockey that you know translated into baseball or gave you an advantage as a baseball player having a hockey background?
2: I think my hand-eye coordination certainly helped, I think uh, the competitiveness of hockey uh, helped me. I think the um, the aspect of, you know, because people who don't play hockey and, and, and talk to you about playing hockey, and I'm sure you've had this conversation with people who haven't played hockey, you know, they all, a lot of them say the same thing. I don't know how you do that because if somebody hit me, I'd want to fight every person that <laughs> hit me. And, and it's like, well, no, it's not really that way. It's not how it goes. But I think a large part of that is, is When you're in that environment and you're getting beat up and you're getting hit and you're getting slashed, you learn to keep your emotions in check. Uh, you learn to kind of deal with that stuff. And I think if there was one thing that always people always talked about me when they watched me fist was I couldn't tell if you were winning by 10 runs or losing by 10 runs. I just always had my emotions in check. And I think that had a lot to do with, with hockey as well, because there's a lot going out there, going on when you're out there on the ice that can get your blood boiling. Uh, and the better you learn to kind of keep all that stuff in check. Uh, the better off you're going to be. So I think, you know, certainly the the competitive side of things um, and the kind of keeping my emotions in check, I think were two big takeaways for me from hockey.
0: Final thing, as we're talking to Tom Glav in the Hall of Fame pitcher here on Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Tom, you were intimately involved in the 94-95 baseball negotiations that ultimately led to the strike. How much right now does the current situation that we're watching unfold remind you of what happened back then?
2: Well, it, it does not it doesn't. I think on the one hand, where it doesn't remind me is because we clearly, we went into 1994 knowing there was going to be a fight uh, and knowing there was going to be a, a strike date and pretty much knowing we were going to reach that date and we weren't going to have a deal and there was going to be some sort of work stoppage. So this is different in the sense that what's happened here to put this um, situation and where it is uh, centered around economic discussions was – you know, a pandemic that nobody saw coming. So that part is different. I think where it's similar is in the sense that when we went on strike in 94, the game took a huge hit. And it wasn't really until Mac and Sammy were doing their thing in 98 to where a lot of people who swore out baseball decided, okay, I'm going to come back and I'm going to be a part of that. So we got lucky to some degree that that happened. I think this is similar in that sense in that if, if baseball if baseball is the only sport that doesn't come back and it doesn't come back because of economic reasons, I think a lot of people in this country are going, to, are going to be really, really upset with the game and they're going to swear it off. Is it going to be to the level of 94 or more? I don't know, but I think that's what—that's the risk that baseball is running in not getting something done. So I don't care, you know, like I've said, I don't care if you're on the owner's side or you're on the player's side. The PR battle doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if there's no baseball, baseball is going to lose Uh, So I'm hoping that similar to, as I've said to people, after the 94 strike, our next collective bargaining agreement, we were going down that road again, and it was on the heels of 9-11. And the cooler heads in the room prevailed, and, and there were two prevailing thoughts. Number one, we just put the game through hell with a strike. And number two, the country's gone through hell. We can't do this. We can't do this again. And that had a lot to do with us getting something done. So I'm hoping that the the outside pressure of the country wanting to get back to normal and get baseball back, I'm hoping that that's going to put enough pressure on both sides to figure something out uh, so that we're going to have baseball before too long.
0: Tom, you're the best. Hopefully we will be able to talk to you about some real baseball coming up soon. We always appreciate the time, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us here today on Ribs and BK. All
2: right, you guys are welcome. Have a great day.